This is a 720 to go podcast from Chicago's WGN Radio 720. This podcast is sponsored by ADM. As one of the world's largest agricultural processors, ADM is uniquely positioned to serve the world's growing needs for abundant food and renewable energy. ADM. When it comes to the business of America's farmland, you need the information from the people who know it best. That's why we bring you AgriCast with Orion Samuelson and Max Armstrong. Well, thank you very much, Roger, and let me add my congratulations to the class of WGN Hall of Famers this year. Congratulations to them all. You know, I think Marlene Wells and I are the two longest uh, staff members at WGN. I believe you are correct, sir. Yes, indeed. So it was nice to see Marlene come into it. And uh, we're waiting for Roger Baddish to be nominated, and we'll certainly put our vote in for you, Roger. Well, thank you, sir. I appreciate it. (laughs) Well, anyway, we have a lot to talk about this morning before we head off to Harvard, Illinois, and the annual event saluting the dairy industry, Harvard Milk Days. There was a time when McHenry County, which is where I now live in Huntley, there was a time when McHenry County was full of dairy farms and dairy farmers. And so the community of Harvard decided to recognize that uh, 78 years ago. Started their salute to uh, June Dairy Month with a salute to dairy farmers. And, of course, during June Dairy Month, recommended for decades take a cow to lunch and say thank you for the nutritious food being served up by the cows and the people who take care of them during june dairy month saturday morning show and uh, we obviously will be talking about weather and its impact on crop production this year and uh, jim fazell will talk about the impact on gardening and lawns and trees so far this year All All of that coming up. We'll be checking in with Jim when we continue on the Saturday morning show. It's not too early to get it on your calendar. The 2019 Farm Progress Show will be here before you know it at Decatur, Illinois. It's sometimes called the World's Fair of Agriculture and again will feature a colossal showcase for the major manufacturers rolling out their newest offerings. Get the dates on the calendar August 27th, 28th, and 29th. The Farm Progress Show, where business and tradition have come together for over 65 years. Keep an eye on the website, farmprogressshow.com. Jim Fazell joins us again this week to talk gardening and vegetables and flowers and lawns and everything else. And one thing, Jim, I have to say at the outset, we don't have to worry about watering the lawn at the moment, do we? (laughs) No, we don't. But, you know, amazingly enough, uh, as Jane and I do our hiking around our neighborhoods, uh, we see sprinkler systems running on lawns. And we've had... Eight and a half inches of rain in the last month. Unbelievable. I guess these people just like to see the water run. I, I'm not sure. But anyway, it, it's a shame. They need to take a hammer out and break the timer on those things until the, <laughs> until the ground dries out a bit. It's really amazing. So what are we doing this week? Well, I'll tell you what. I'd like to talk a little bit about community farmers. Farmer markets, uh, most of our communities have these uh, either in their own community or in a neighboring community, so they're accessible to all of us no matter where we live in this general area. And, you know, it's it's really 
it's interesting. The farmers' markets are already opening. Um, a lot of them opened last weekend, and I think most of them are going to be open by about June 8. Uh, and the farmers are well into the season. How, I have no idea, because with the amount of rain and the cool weather that we've had, how they do, how they do it, but they do. It's harvest time, and, and uh, there are things that are available now in the farmers' markets. Uh, local farmers, of course, grow the best, uh, and they time it so they have the best crop coming in. The stuff is going to be harvested that particular week. And as they set their timing for planting and so forth, they know that by May 8th they're going to have, uh, or June 8th they're going to have this crop in and so forth, and they, they time their planting accordingly so that they can pick the day before the market and they can bring it in fresh. Uh, this year there are a lot of things that are going to be uh, tough to find because of the planting delay because of water and also because we've only accumulated about 30 to 50 percent of our normal degree days at this time. So certain things that are not not available locally are coming in from other areas. I know asparagus normally comes in from western Illinois, but they're pretty wet out there. I also know that in Michigan and Indiana, they have been picking asparagus, and our growers that come into community markets, markets from those areas will have plenty of that stuff. And I also know that there are greenhouses here and greenhouses and farms down south that grow for our particular markets. So there's a lot of stuff coming in, things that you can expect now. In fact, at our farmer's market last weekend, I checked, we had bedding plants and herbs uh, coming in from greenhouses, obviously. Uh, cut flowers were, were uh, things like pinks and phlox, which are blooming outdoors. There's asparagus, strawberries, rhubarb, there are greens, bunching onions. Plus, uh, most community markets, and ours included, have baked goods, honey, mushrooms, cheese, frozen meat, frozen meat products, and so forth. So there's a lot of stuff available. Uh, and, and don't worry about uh, the weather as far as our gardens are concerned because our farmers have taken advantage of whatever they can to get stuff ready for the markets. Markets are generally open one day a week. Uh, Saturday and Sunday are the best ones, but there are only so many farmers. So there are a lot of other communities that have come in later, have to take the other days of the week. So just about any day of the week, there is a farmer's market that's open someplace. Uh, down in the city of Chicago, actually, there are a lot of community farmer's markets that are open at various times during the, during the season. And you're going to need to check with the city of Chicago or with your local authorities in your community to find out when the farmer's markets are open uh, where you live. Uh, most of them have uh, special events as well. I know there are things for children, uh, games, uh, things like that that are available for uh, people that are coming to the market with their kids. I know one of the markets has a guy that does this balloon sculpture. He blows the balloons up and he has a bigger line of kids wanting balloons than some of the market uh, purveyors have for their produce. So there's a lot of fun, good produce there at the farmer's markets, and visiting with other shoppers and farmers is always fun. In fact, you might even see Orion or me there. We, we attend them, too. You bet. Now, a couple of things out in the garden. Um, a lot of people are worried because they're looking at their plant material, and it's either brown or it's not leafing out. Uh, what is all this stuff? What's going on? Well, you know, we had some terrible weather this winter. Uh, in fact, we had terrible winter last year. Summer was uh, wet and hot and dry. Then fall was uh, extended, and the plants didn't really go dormant very well. But anyway, we've had a lot of problems. Now, maple trees, some of the maple trees, if you look up in the tree, you don't see very much green up there, but you see a whole lot of tan stuff. And I had a, a neighbor ask, are those dead leaves up there? No. 
that's a heavy, heavy seed load for some reason on some of the maple trees. And what you're seeing are the these seeds that are beginning to ripen. They're beginning to dry up, getting ready to fall off the tree. And within a short period of time, you're going to have what looks like fall over your lawn covered with these seeds. You need to rake them up and get them out of your flower beds because they will germinate and, and grow new maple trees for you just exactly where you don't want them. Um, you know, we've talked about the catalpa trees and that you shouldn't plant tomatoes until your catalpa's leaves are the size of your hand. Well, I'm having a hard time trying to find a catalpa tree that has leaves the size of my hand. It's just been too cold. As I mentioned, we've not accumulated the normal number of degree days. Honey locust trees that have not leafed out, um, they've been affected by honey locust plant bugs. Now, I actually thought that the winter that we had with temperatures 20-some-odd degrees below zero would have killed these off, but in some areas where they were protected, I suspect, did not kill them off. So there's some honey locust trees where the plant bugs are feeding on the leaves as they come out, and uh, these leaves are not really going to develop until the honey locust plant bugs mature, fly off to find each other and lay eggs, then the tree will leaf out normally. One plant that has really taken a hit this winter is something that uh, we don't see every year. It's boxwood. Now, the boxwood varieties that we plant normally are pretty hardy, but there are very few that are hardy to 25 below zero, and that's what we had this past winter. Uh, if you had boxwood that turned brown, either the whole plant turned brown or has branches that have turned brown, that's because the leaves in particular have been killed. Whether the stems are dead or not, we don't know until the plant begins to grow. So you don't want to throw these out, dig them out, prune them too severely to pr prune out this, this brown until you know for sure where that plant's going to grow. That's the same for any other kind of evergreen, even the needle-type evergreens that have had winter damage. Don't prune them until you find out where the buds are going to start. It may be out at the end of the branch, even though the, the needles on that particular branch are brown. Uh, in the garden itself, um, you know, it's time to plant everything, even though the catalpa leaves aren't the size of your hand. But the ground is so wet. Don't try to spade out in the garden if it's wet. Squeeze a handful of soil into a ball and crumble it. If it won't crumble, it's too wet. Don't monkey around with it. Uh, don't be in a rush. We can't expect much growth until the soil dries up and warms anyway. Uh, you can hoe out the weeds as they appear because they're going to grow no matter what. Uh, and keep in mind, also, if the rain does ever quit, that soil is going to dry out very quickly. And meanwhile, keep the faith. Gardeners and farmers are eternal optimists, and summer will eventually get here. Yes, it will get here eventually. <clears throat> and I have to tell you, uh, my gardener, Gloria, has gone to Tom's Market uh, here in the northern suburbs. She got the most uh, gorgeous hibiscus plants this year. They're absolutely beautiful. Yep. Those are grown in the greenhouse. Tom does a wonderful job with that stuff out there. I know him well. He was one of my 4-H kids 50 years ago or so. Yep. <laughs> anyway, that's great. I know you have a wonderful gardener at home. I'm looking forward to visiting with her this summer. We'll do it as soon as we can, and uh, we'll give you a break next week, but we'll look for you back in two weeks, okay? See you then. Thanks, Orion. Jim Fazell, our specialist in ornamental horticulture, here on the Saturday Morning Show. We're at uh, 21 minutes after 5 o'clock, uh, working from our studio in Huntley, Illinois today, and my thermometer says 66 degrees, and uh, we too have accumulated quite a bit of rain during the month of May in the backyard rain gauge. 
As I mentioned earlier, June Dairy Month getting underway today and uh, a big celebration at Harvard, Illinois this weekend where they paint the uh, street white and call it the Milky Way and that's where the parade will take place. But this morning at 9 o'clock, the annual Harvard Milk Day Breakfast and we'll be there to uh, emcee that again as we have for two or three decades, I think, in the past uh, history of that event. So look forward to seeing a lot of you in Harvard, Illinois. But uh, talking dairying, I can't help but uh, bring up the name of Bill Lenchow, dairy farmer for years, and uh, received a note from Bill earlier in May saying, I want to share with you the news of our new DeKalb County Historic Center. In an effort to bring together the history of all of DeKalb County, a new 7,400-square-foot building has been built at the former Sycamore History Museum location with the grand opening taking place in May. And the first exhibit is the Smithsonian Crossroads Change in Rural America. The exhibit part of the museum on Main Street, a collaboration between Smithsonian Institution and Illinois Humanities. And this exhibit, now in place, will remain on display from May, well, it opened May 11th, and it will be on display until June 22nd. History Center will be open Tuesday through Saturday from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m., Sunday, 1 p.m. to 5 p.m., and uh, closed on Monday. So if you want to get a look at history of DeKalb County, because there is a lot of history there involving agriculture, you have until uh, June 22nd to uh, get a look at the Smithsonian display in DeKalb County. And uh, our congratulations to the folks at the uh, DeKalb County Farm Bureau and the other organizations that made all this possible. Thanks to Bill Lenchow for letting me know about it, and that way I can share it with you. How much planting have we done, and what will it do to the yields and the total production of the crop? Well, we're going to find out from one of the men who really keeps an eye on that, and that is Dr. Mike Cordonier, who will be joining us in the second half of the show this morning to uh, visit with Max Armstrong. Meanwhile, the uh, announcement by President Trump on some new tariffs involving our neighbors to the south, Mexico, I couldn't find any news release from agricultural groups that are in favor of that. And uh, there is very much concern on the border between the U.S. and Mexico about the illegal immigration. But uh, there's also very much concern about uh, the tariffs that would be imposed a little bit later in June and uh, the impact it would have on agriculture. I visit uh, frequently with Paul Roby, the dairy farmer in uh, the Glendale, Arizona area, 
And uh, about a month ago, we talked about uh, the discussion to close the border between the U.S. and Mexico. And he said that would be disastrous for dairy farmers in the Southwest and for other agricultural trade in the Southwest. So this all really comes back, I think, to Congress, and Congress doing absolutely nothing in the way of legislation dealing with immigration and security on the border. They talk about it. They don't. Many of them go to the border to take a look at it and talk to the communities that are impacted by the busloads of immigrants trying to get asylum in the United States that come across that border on a daily basis. So Congress is finally going to have to do something, not only about immigration, but about trade situations as well because we're in the middle of trying to approve country by country the Mexico-U.S.-Canada trade agreement that was hammered out last year. But before it can go into place, it needs a legislative approval from the three countries involved in it. And uh, those countries are going to work on putting it together except the United States. Our Congress isn't doing much of anything. But a note yesterday saying that Mexico and Canada would proceed with plans to ratify the new trade agreement despite the threat from President Trump. And the administration has made passing the United States-Mexico-Canada free trade agreement a priority but uh, took a little bit of a setback yesterday with that announcement that uh, come June 10th, I think is the date it would start, that uh, we'll start putting tariffs and then raising them until we get some cooperation from the Mexican government on um, shutting down the illegal immigration. And, you know, it's important that uh, workers can cross the border because in Yuma, Arizona, I've seen figures that say 30,000 workers from south of the border cross every day to go to work in the produce fields of uh, Southern California and Arizona. And uh, we so badly need that uh, immigration legislation. Another note this week from north of the border, Canadian fertilizer dealer Nutrien Limited, aiming to triple its lendings to U.S. farmers to $6 billion within five years. That's a bid to drive up farm supply sales. Nutrient's push to expand farm loans starting this year comes as the low commodity prices have depressed U.S. farm income leaving producers in the United States less money to spend on seed and fertilizer. And the CFO, Pedro Ferra, a former Walmart executive, said, we are trying to provide the fuel for retail to grow. We know whoever buys with financing tends to buy a lot more. It increases the depth of the relationship with farmers. Nutrien has not previously disclosed its target for farm loans. It told a meeting of investors this week that it intends to expand its financial arm. The company is based in Saskatchewan, uh, Canada, 
and um, current loans to U.S. farmers to buy supplies amount to $2 billion, or 8% of U.S. farm input financing the market, in which it competes with commercial banks, tractor maker, deer and company, and rival farm supplies such as CHS. So that news from a firm headquartered in Canada, Nutrien. And thank you, Roger. We're at 26 minutes before 6 o'clock. And yes, indeed, looking forward to the Harvard Milk Days breakfast at... uh, about 9 o'clock this morning in Harvard, Illinois. Look forward to being there and saying hello to a lot of you that over the decades we have had the opportunity to get to know as part of the salute to the dairy industry and a fun time, carnival and all of that activity at Harvard, Illinois. But right now, time for Samuelson Says. I'm Orion, and today, talking about trade with Cuba... At 6.35, I answer your pet behavior questions. 312-981-7200. You can text, you can call, you can growl, you can bark, and you can purr. Steve Dale's Pet World, tomorrow morning on 720 WGN. Trade with Cuba. We talk a lot about trade with China and the European Union and Japan and other countries. But we haven't talked about trade with Cuba for a long time because we're still working under the trade embargo between the U.S. and Cuba that went into effect during the missile crisis back in the early 60s. And we were going to stamp down the Cuban people because they were allowing Russian missiles to come into Cuba just 90 miles off the shore of the United States. And so the embargo on trade with Cuba was put into place. It's been modified somewhat since then, but it still has factors in trade between the U.S. and Cuba. But uh, earlier this month, Republican Senator John Boozman of Arkansas and Democratic Senator Michael Bennett of Colorado introduced the Agricultural Export Expansion Act. That legislation would make it easier for American farmers to sell their goods to Cuba by removing restrictions on private financing for U.S. agricultural exports to the island nation just 90 miles from us. There is a group called Engage Cuba, urging that embargo be totally lifted. Its president is James Williams. He said these restrictions are arbitrary and serve no purpose other than hurting our farmers and the Cuban people. As U.S. producers across sectors struggle with sluggish markets and Chinese tariffs, it's time we move this bad policy out of the way of our farmers who deserve to be able to compete on equal ground for market share in Cuba. We know there's demand for quality U.S. products, and we should let producers meet that demand. Despite the trade embargo, U.S. producers have been able to export to the island since 2000. However, remaining restrictions on financial transactions involving Cuba 
have barred U.S. producers from offering financing to Cuban buyers, and that severely cuts in to the export potential. Cuba imports about $2 billion in agricultural products annually. However, due to the cash in advance requirement, Cuba is left with little choice but to turn instead to international competitors like the European Union, Brazil, and Vietnam. And our U.S. agricultural exports to Cuba have declined every year since 2009 in terms of dollar amount, market share, and in the variety of products shipped. So it's time to pass the bill introduced by Senators Bennett and Boozman, uh, in May and remove the restrictions on private financing. It will open a market for U.S. farmers that they currently can't do business with. I remember on my one and only visit to Cuba back in 1999, I talked to dairy farmers in the country who said because of the embargo, they could not longer get the genetics of our Holstein breeders here in the U.S., and uh, consumers could no longer get Texas long grain rice, which was a favorite of theirs. Time to put that to an end as we focus on China and other countries that we have trade differences with. Let's get rid of this one. So I'm urging support of the Agricultural Export Expansion Act. My thoughts on Samuelson Says. Presentation of Tribune Radio Networks and standing by, Max Armstrong, along with Dr. Michael Cordonier, Soybeans and Corn, when we continue here on the Saturday Morning Show. Dr. Mike Cordonier, the Soybean and Corn Advisor, joining us this weekend. Looking at a lot of wet fields still, and forecast for more? Well, unfortunately, Max, that's the forecast. And, of course, we got the record amount of rainfall all across the Corn Belt. And this year, it's really interesting. It goes from Nebraska to Ohio. So it's not just one location. It hits Iowa, Illinois, Nebraska, lots of big production states. And as you saw in the last Crop Progress Report, we're record slow planting, and it's going to be that way. And I'm afraid there's going to be a lot of corn that's not going to be planted, taken for insurance. And then we got a lot of replant as well. And, of course, you get a yield drag, all the stuff planting so late. Minnesota, South Dakota, they're very wet, too, in, in many of those counties. Actually, South Dakota is one of the worst. Ironically, one of the best now is North Dakota. Uh, they've been kind of dry way up there, so uh, they're okay on their wheat and kind of okay on corn and soybeans. But South Dakota, man, they're really, really wet, especially down in the southeast corner. People want to compare it to 1993. People are talking about that, uh, the very wet year that we had. But that geography was much more limited, wasn't it, 26 oh, years ago? Yeah, it was mostly west of the Mississippi. Uh, I remember Iowa back then. It was like you could go water skiing on some of the fields. Uh, this year is much more widespread, and I think it's uh, much more important, quite frankly. How far behind to the corn planting we are is the striking thing. As you look at the calendar, that that jumped out at us. And, and I'm gathering very little has been planted this week in many areas. What do you think the weekly crop bulletin on Monday will show in terms of corn planting progress? Well, we had 58% last Monday. If we get 10 to 12%, I'd be surprised. So we might get up to 70 uh, next Monday, and that's already in June. So we're going to have 30% of the corn planted in June. So even with a good summer, there's going to be a yield drag. 
June 10 is a date that a number of growers are talking about, is uh, when they would probably stop planting corn. Yeah, well, the insurance date has already passed for North Dakota, South Dakota, Kansas, Nebraska. And then uh, on Friday, it will be for Iowa and Minnesota, and then later on in June a little bit for Illinois, Indiana, and Ohio. Uh, thankfully, the prices are going up. So that might uh, influence some guys to plant a little bit later than what they would have had the prices not moved. The history shows, though, the yield goes down the later you plant the corn crop. Uh, absolutely. Uh, Illinois, if you plant on June 1st, more or less, you get about a 12% yield drag. So, and a lot of this stuff's not going to get planted on June 1st. It's going to be planted later than that. One other thing that comes to mind is what happens with inputs and the, the, the firepower that we might have in a corn crop with a regular planting season with nutrients, well-placed. You don't get that, do you, with uh, a late planting? No, and in fact, uh, we're losing a lot of the nitrogen by leaching. So that's you know, out of the picture, at least some of it. And then also... The corn plants are slow to develop. They're slow emerging. It's been cold. So you just have less uptake and, and everything for the nutrients. And the longest day of the year is June 21st. You want your corn plant as big as possible with the maximum amount of sunlight. And there's going to be a lot of corn that's going to be very small on June 21st. So the factory, so to speak, uh, won't be big enough to take advantage of all the photosynthetic activity. The prevent plant acreage. Uh, a lot of folks are toying in their mind about how much of the intended acreage this year could wind up in that category for the corn crop. What are you thinking? Well, I think we're going to have a record amount of prevent plant. How much remains to be seen? I think a minimum, maybe 6 million acres combined, maximum, maybe 10 million. Uh, nobody knows. And they say, at least uh, before this recent price rise, that you're better off taking prevent plant. So a lot of guys have to make a very tough decision, uh, have to do it on individual farm, individual field-by-field -field basis, but I think there's going to be a record amount of prevent plants. Now, we won't get a new acreage number from the USDA, an actual acreage number, till the end of June. Is that correct? Correct. We get the June planted number at the end of June. That's a survey done the first two weeks of June. Now, the first prevent plant number comes out, I think it's August 15th. So we'll still be guessing at the end of June what the acreage is going to be. And it keeps the market very nervous as far as the acreage. And the, the harvested percent... Normally, 91.7% of the corn is harvested for grain. Now, most of that goes to silage, of course. But this year, we're not going to hit that number. It might be 90%, maybe 88% being harvested. Because there's going to be a lot of corn that's going to be lost. It's ponding and saturated. Uh, it won't be able to get back out there to replant. So you combine lower acreage, uh, more abandonment, and lower yields, and we're going to maybe have a dynamic corn market. How much lower do you think that June acreage number will be than the intentions number USDA posted earlier this year? The intention was 92, like 92.5 million. It can't be any more than 88 million. My guess is it'll be closer to 85 million. Uh, some people in the market think 83 million. So the guesses are all over the place. But I think we can say for certain that it's going to be way lower than what the March intention was. Now, the idea is that some of this acreage would have gone to corn is going to be shifted over into soybeans. To what degree do you think that will happen? I think there will be some switch over to soybeans, absolutely. Some maybe of the soybeans also may not get planted. I mean, taking for a prevent plant, of course, as right. well. So it's really uncertain for soybeans as well. It was $84 million, I think, in the intentions for soybeans, maybe mid-80s. 
uh, for soybean numbers. It's just all up in the air. It's going to be striking driving down the road this summer, isn't it, Mike, to see how much land is sitting out there idle, maybe into a cover crop, but not producing corn or soybeans. I've heard from some people say this is the first time ever doing 100% prevent plant on corn. Uh, up in Minnesota, uh, just recently got a couple more inches of rain. The fields are all flooded. The prevent plant, they'd already passed. And it says, why plant it late? When I can, if I didn't put on my fertilizer, and if you can give back your seed corn, it's like a no-brainer. Do prevent plant. Now, if you put on your fertilizer, that's a tougher decision, uh, especially with the prices going up a little bit now. But some guys have already made the decision to take prevent plant. So USDA has been assuming a corn yield number of what, 176? 176.4. I'm using right now 167 with a lower bias and a much lower bias, depending how late the corn gets planted. Potentially significantly lower corn yield, you're saying, than 167. Oh, yes. Depends on the next couple of weeks, when you get it planted and that sort of thing. I think it's a real... Dynamic situation, Max. What are you estimating on total corn crop size at this moment? Is it too early to do that? It's too early. Um, I did a back of the envelope. Doesn't keep USDA from doing it. <laughs> I mean, I, 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 you know, I quarrel a little bit with them even assuming numbers in May, which they, you know, if you look at how far off they've been over the years, <laughs> the you trend know, line yield. You know, Max, that's a good point. In August of this year, they are not going to give us a survey for the production out there in the field. They're not going to do a field survey for the August report. It's going to be based on models and trends and all that sort of stuff. So in a year like this, when everything is uncertain with the acreage and yields, it's going to make it even worse not having a USDA number until the the crop report in September. So the market is going to be all over the place. What's behind that? And they say, well, especially for corn and for soybeans, for both crops, it's very early to say what happens. You know, and that survey is done the last week of July in the first week of August. And obviously the weather changes after that. The numbers change, but I certainly would like to see a, a baseline number, but we're not going to get it this year. Well, it is an interesting situation to watch by all means, and uh, it looks like we can have a corn crop significantly lower than anybody ever imagined. Well, right now I'm calculating about a $13.5 billion crop, uh, but that's given what I think is too optimistic for acreage, too optimistic for harvested area, and too optimistic for yield. So a worst-case scenario, well, we could be down, you know, 12 and a half billion bushels. Who knows? It's a wild guess right now. Changes the whole dynamic of the situation for the corn market, doesn't it? Now, before we get away from it, though, let us not forget their huge production in South America. Big corn crop, right, this year? Oh, yes, absolutely. Uh, they increased their corn production 27% in South America this year. About 32 million tons more of corn this year than last year. And in fact, in Brazil right now, they're starting to harvest the Safrinha corn crop. It's going to be a record. Uh, I got Brazil corn production at 98 million tons. That's already a record. Could hit 100 million, uh, depending how good the yields are. The farmers are very optimistic. Uh, they're like 1 to 2 to 3% harvested. So it could be a very big corn crop in Brazil, and it's already been a big crop in Argentina. Yields coming out of Argentina are unbelievable, 230, 240 bushels in the best areas. So, yes, South America is going to have a very big crop. And guess what? If we have a really short crop here, prices go up. What they are going to do in South America? Plant more corn in just a few months from now. And, of course, they've benefited mightily from the trade war. Oh, yes. Uh, China 
you know, bought some soybeans from the United States. Uh, but I just saw recently they're not going to buy any more for the time being. Uh, they're shipping beans out of Brazil as fast as they can. At the port of Paranaguá, the second largest port in Brazil, they just loaded this week the largest vessel ever to dock, 90,000 tons. Now, it's soybean meal going to Holland. But all the ports in Brazil are increasing their capacity. This port of Paranaguá put in new shiploaders. They dredged the docks. They're building new docks in anticipation of more exports. They did have a strike this week, I saw, in Argentina, where the uh, the shipping was delayed during some kind of a walkout. They have those about every other week, don't they? I got caught in a protest, a strike down there many years ago in the streets. It's a little bit unnerving. They fire off the cannons, they're yelling, beating drums, but those are very common, aren't they? Oh, it's an annual event in Argentina. <laughs> uh, inflation is raging in Argentina. Uh, the economy is very weak. Uh, wages can't keep up with inflation. And they have a presidential election coming in October. And the President Macri, who was supported by the farmers when he got elected uh, three and a half years ago, he now has some trouble. The economy is uh, not very good in Argentina. So he's not so supported by their farmers now? Well, <laughs> some, some are wondering if that's going to happen in the United States. They keep pondering that. Could it happen in the U.S.? Well, if it's Macri versus the old president, uh, Christina uh, Kirshner, uh, the farmers hate Kirshner. So they would still vote for mockery by biting their tongue, uh, but we'll see. Maybe another parallel there. Thank you, sir. We appreciate you being in to join us. Always my pleasure. Dr. Mike Cotadier, Soybean and Corn Advisor. Soybeansandcorn.com. Correct. Always a pleasure to listen to Dr. Mike Cordonier. He's been on the air with us uh, for quite a few years now. But uh, his wife is Brazilian, and so they do get to Brazil frequently. And uh, he has the best knowledge of any American I know on what conditions are in Brazil. Well, I'm hearing a couple of rolls of thunder outside our studios in Huntley, Illinois. And as I take a look at radar, it looks like there could be a tiny shower or two moving this way. But that's about all I see on radar that would impact us here and up at Harvard, Illinois for Harvard Milk Day. But we'll keep an eye on that one because... I, at first I thought, what's going on? Are we setting off dynamite somewhere? But no, turns out to be some moisture. There is thunderstorm activity across the northern half of Wisconsin. But other than that, radar screen looks fairly clean. Max Armstrong is standing by, and uh, we'll get a check uh, from one of our BASF specialists on uh, what conditions are like, so stay with us for that. We'll be back with Max right after this. It'll be a different Farm Progress show later this summer with the mergers that have taken place among the companies that serve farmers. There'll be new names, new signs, new logos out there among the more than 600 exhibitors. It'll be the place for the producer to sort it all out. The Farm Progress show dates this year are August 27th through the 29th. The show will be back at Decatur, Illinois, the 66th annual Farm Progress show. Keep an eye on the website for updates, farmprogressshow.com. Civics education is now taught in Illinois high schools, and it's going to be taught in Illinois prisons. 
We hear from the driving force behind this new law and why it's important to educate everyone on their civic responsibilities. Mike Steven is outside the loop. Up next at 6. On Chicago's very own 720 WGN. Well, we get another report on what's happening in the fields out there, courtesy of the folks at BASF, with BASF Technical Service Representative Jody Bowe, who covers the entire state of Wisconsin and the northern part of Illinois. And I would imagine throughout that territory, there are still so many fields that haven't been touched. Right, Jody? Absolutely. There's really a gradient of things that um, where wheels have turned and where wheels have not. So you get to western Wisconsin, northern, northern Wisconsin, and things have been planted and folks are looking at what to do for post-week control options. But then as you get farther south, things are still a little bit wet. And then even further south into um, closer to I-80 and a little bit farther west, things are really wet. And not as many wheels have been turning. It'll be interesting to see, all right. It's an hour of decision almost for producers who they wanted to plant corn originally, but now they're not so sure. So many are perhaps considering going over to soybeans. What kind of guidance are you offering? That's been a a topic of a lot of our discussions um, with other tech service reps. And really, if they're looking to switch over to soybeans, just as before, um, it's really important to have a clean start. Um, to your fields as you plant soybeans, making sure that, you know, especially if you've got water hemp already, um, we've already passed that threshold of growing degree day units um, for water hemp to emerge. So if you're looking to plant, um, make sure you're making a pre-application that's going to control um, water hemp that is emerged. So looking at sharpened products for burn down. Um, and if you're not using a sharpened product, looking at growth regulators like Clarity or Ingenia um, to take down that water hemp that has emerged. What do you say to the grower who maybe is very cost conscious here, wondering just how much the market is going to rally and also very concerned about spending on this crop? Uh, Any guidance in regard to watching expenses? Definitely. So one thing on watching expenses, when you're making that burn down application and making those, those post applications, use a residual. It may seem like the first and easiest corner to cut, but with the wet weather that we've been having and with the delayed planting that we've had, it's going to be a lot easier for our continually emerging weeds like water hemp to come up and cause problems. So use a group 15 um, with whatever you're doing as a burn down or a pre-plant herbicide or an early post. Make sure you're adding some sort of residual to help cut back on those, that water hemp emergence and that water hemp growth. There is a danger in getting behind in a weed control, isn't there? You know, these fields that have been difficult to access for planting, some have been difficult to, uh, no doubt, access for spraying. Yes, definitely. I've passed a number of fields that have looked very hairy, incredibly hairy. Um, but again, tillage can do wonders for fields that look hairy. Um, good burn downs can do wonders for those fields as well. It's also important to keep in mind um, if those big weeds are winter annuals, um, a lot of those have already completed their life cycles, have already put on seed. Um, so it's not going to be really anything we can do to burn those down. Um, it's more making sure that those big weeds are winter annuals and not summer annuals that will put on seed later in the season. So just keep a watch out for what you have in the field before you get out there and make a decision and make sure you're applying the right products to take care of your weed spectrum. Jody, I would imagine some producers, too, are thinking about fungicides, and we know that they need to be watching some of these small grains because we've heard with all of this rain, there is that concern about disease pressure. Absolutely. With conditions like these, with high humidity, and now that we're increasing in temperature, this 
these are the conditions that are really ripe for um, fungal growth. And especially for our small grains that are getting into um, past the flag, flag leaf stage and into um, anthesis, this is really when we need to be out there um, applying um, fungicides like caramba to take care of head blight issues. So fusarium head blight, um, that same fungicide or fungus that causes gibberella ear rot um, can really be a problem, especially for, for grain quality um, and final yield. So it's important to be out there um, with the triazole like caramba. Jody, thanks for the advice. Jody Bow, technical service representative for BASF. And our thanks to Max for that weekly report that we get throughout the growing season. Well, I tell you what, I have been very surprised. We've had a couple of really good rolls of thunder outside our studios here in Huntley, Illinois. Uh, just light sprinkles of rain at the moment, but and it's a very small area on the radar screen, but... I was surprised to hear the rolls of thunder outside. It's happening. Well, we're getting ready to go to Harvard, Illinois for Harvard Milk Days on this weekend. But before we leave, thanks to Bob Ferguson for doing the engineering work for us this morning. Thanks to you for listening to us here on the Saturday Morning Show. Orion Samuelson keeps you connected to the world of business and agriculture on WGN. Hear his reports weekday mornings on the Steve Cochran Show and during the noon hour on the Wintrust Business Lunch. Plus, catch Orion and Max on Saturday mornings at 5 a.m. only on Chicago's WGN Radio 720.